Good morning, good afternoon, good night, good everything. Welcome to the Emerald Office. This is Full Focus Entrepreneur, where we talk about how you can be more focused, help you figure out what to focus on, and do all of that so that we can all be more impactful in the things that we actually care about making happen in the world. Welcome, Brennan Smith of the Inspired Action Network. I'm really, 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 really excited to have you on because you are one of my mentors and I love sharing my mentors with the world. So glad to have you here. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. I always knew you were going to be like top of the list, get him in the office pretty quick. Um, and I'm really thrilled that some of your skill set has lined up so perfectly with what we're doing this month in the membership program. And we'll get into that later. But uh, why don't you start with just who you are and where you're from and where you are and what you do and all those fun things. Sure. So um, I profess these days to be living in two worlds. And uh, primarily the world that we're here to speak about is the one I would focus on, not my community building and family life which is um, an equally high set of commitments for me uh, from an emotional purpose standpoint. But my work also is very emotionally and purposeful uh, for me. It is leadership development in organizations on the human side. Um, I consult, but not strategy or finance or any of that stuff. It's 100% the human potential of the individual and how that individual is showing up in a team of other empowered individuals such that we find um, the whole team can up-level. And if I'm brought in just to support a project team, then we look at the metrics of that project to see what are the levers that we can move just by moving the perspectives of the humans involved. And if it's on a full corporate culture or agency-wide culture, if it's in a governmental client situation. Um, then we look at feedback scores for how engaged and fulfilled people are by their work. And how have we done at creating an environment from the top where um, people bring their very best and will give you their discretionary energy, as um, Paul O'Neill is quoted as saying, that they have discretionary, discretionary energy and will give it to you if you treat them with dignity and respect. So creating environments in the work world where that is happening is how my work shows up. And then, you know, from the consulting and training, uh, coaching clients and, and additional implementation work gets done downstream. But it all starts from mindset work and um, the empowerment of the leaders in the room as the as the kickoff point for the whole thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is fantastic. I love the work that you do, and I've had the pleasure of watching you work on many, many occasions. Um, but I want to take this, if possible, down to kind of a micro scale. Uh, one thing that I tell uh, my clients is that even as a solopreneur, you have a company culture. And it's, it's, all happening at the uh, large conference table in your head. But uh, and how, well how many people you have at your conference table depends on who you are as a person. I think there's at least 72 people at my conference table on 
on a bad day. Um, but what would you say about taking this down to that, that microculture of somebody who works either completely for themselves by themselves, or maybe has a very, very small team, you know, they've got a part-time assistant or a part-time social media person or uh, something like that. How does this apply when we're talking about the leadership that is involved in kind of almost leading yourself in being that entrepreneur, which is that very, you know, it, it's the top of a hierarchy, but the hierarchy is also one person. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating to me how this particular approach to leadership has opened up for me um, a way of asking for help that I never saw until I looked at it through the lens of leadership. So your, your question is very apt to the degree that all leadership must begin with self-leadership. If I don't trust myself to step into the unknown, which leadership inevitably requires, if I don't trust myself to move flexibly and reliably with what shows up, um, I likely won't step out. I likely won't move. I will stay within a plus or minus 5% uh, flow of exactly where I am now. And I'll keep talking about growth and I'll keep talking about better and better and improvement. Um, I simply won't be putting myself at stake in the matter and really going for it. This is my worldview, of course. I don't hold any of this as true with a capital T. I hold this to be how I speak about myself, how I've experienced myself, and how I've then chosen to take this on as my life's work and share it with others. So um, one of those interesting things that happened for me was that I began to be willing to ask for help. And man, I was like the king of the secret business initiative up before that. I, I had so many companies that I started and didn't want to tell anybody about until they were successful. You can imagine how successful a strategy that is. <laughs> as somebody who knows marketing. So, um, yeah, I, I just failed a million times in my life. I, I quit so many things because they weren't working, not realizing I was the source of the not working. I just thought, oh, this wasn't a good idea. I thought it was. <laughs> I mean, it, it was amazing. Um, call, me, call me naive, but I kept thinking I had good ideas. Uh, maybe I should uh, take my ego into check a little bit here. But um, the point is, uh, from the lens of leadership, and leadership being about getting whatever I need to meet my commitments. I finally trusted myself to make a commitment bigger than myself once I opened up to this type of leadership. And once the commitment was bigger than me, I had to call on something other than me. And, and that call started to go to my mentors. And I started gathering up mentors at a pace that one needs to have mentors if they're going to really be up to something. Uh, and then um, I think one of the other things that you were tipping toward is uh, you're aware that I have personal practices for my own self-care. And this is also through the lens of leadership. As an entrepreneur, I'm really clear on how much energy it takes to get up every morning, handle those family and community obligations that I've said that I hold very highly and be a really um, forward moving and um, ambitious uh, entrepreneur. And as a result of that energy output, I'm also aware 
that that has to be a sustainable burn rate or it's just it's a non-starter so uh, for me uh, the mindfulness that i mentioned before i do on a daily basis i only take five minutes um, and it's a very body-based um, we call it attention training in our work mm-hmm. which um, means that i'm focused on the physical sensation of my breath entering and leaving my body and anytime that i notice that my mind is focused on anything other than that sensation i simply return my focus to the sensation until my phone alarm beeps and says okay that's enough and that sets the tone for my day the other thing that i do is i have a practice of throughout the day um, stopping to breathe and we call that a centering practice there's a specific method that we use for that and uh, a relationship that we have with this notion of center that goes beyond physical location and rather becomes a way of being so that one could say uh, that person moves from center so to speak though that would be a weird languaging of it um, that would be a way that i could put it to you now for you to go oh okay so it's not only that there's a physical location that is my center of gravity it's that i have a real sense of home and personal power there and that I move from that effortless sense of personal power that is always available through my breath. So um, centering throughout the day, especially right before anything important, uh, any you know, pitch meeting or uh, a phone call with a possible new client or right before I go into a client delivery, all of that, I make it a point to certainly do that. And then... Um, the two other things that I'll mention, which are not as sort of foundational, those two are unwaveringly foundational to me. And they're a commitment that I've made out of, born out of a seeing that when I do those two foundational practices, I just move in the world in a different way. And I trust myself to play a bigger game. Um, but the two other practices that I'll mention, just because they're really wonderful supports, uh, are uh, a stretching practice that I do that also comes out of Aikido martial arts, but that yoga is perfectly, uh, like, identically valuable. I just happen to do different types of movements and stretches, but exact same benefit. Um, and that is especially when I'm about to go into a delivery or I'm going to be facilitating a room or consulting or running a whole meeting and I want to have optimized physical presence and, you know, openness and um, connectability to my physical presence. So I definitely connect movement and breath in physical stretches to open up the body. And then um, the other thing is called relaxation practice, which is uh, no screens, no conversations, no sleeping, but intentionally doing nothing. And it can be wandering along a nature trail and just noticing nature around me. It can be sitting and staring out a window, which I often do when I take the train to get to any of my deliverables. I'll use the train as my relaxation practice and just take 30 minutes out of that train ride to watch the world go by. Maybe I'll have a little bit of a soundtrack behind it and listen to some music. Maybe sometimes the music is the relaxation practice if I'm just sitting in my office 
and I just listened to a whole album, top to bottom, <laughs> the way the artist intended. Absolutely. And, um, you know, that 30 minutes once a week um, is a supporting practice that uh, provides the energy that I need to be somebody who uses a lot of energy because I choose to take on leadership roles as a way of being in the world. Obviously, the practices that you've just mentioned are directly connected to the work that you do in being really conscious about centering and breathing and relaxing and being able to move from your center, both meaning that you have to stretch so you can move and center so you can move from there. Um, But I want to kind of dial in on kind of the nitty gritty of this and how it plays out kind of in the real world, because we can all sit down and say, yeah, I think I'm going to, I'm going to really intentionally do nothing at some point today. But I think uh, you as a father of two very small ones, a business owner, someone who travels a good bit for work, the logistics of making these things happen. Um, so what what do you use to make this happen? Do you set alarms for yourself? Do, you, do these play out in kind of larger morning and night routines? How does this actually go down in the parameters of real life? Yeah, yeah, thank you. That's a great question. And uh, I will say that in the same way that you can watch a really impactful TED Talk and your life is changed for, I don't know, the next 45 minutes, or you read a blog post that, you know, just is like, wow. Um, the, the world is begging for our attention. And the next new idea is just around the corner, always. So if in listening to this podcast, somebody chooses to take on at the level of a commitment that is inseparable from one's identity, it's a commitment that is lived um, as though it is oneself, then, then we've really got something there. And there's a mastery journey that engages at that point with entire worlds of side benefits that become available beyond the essential practice itself. And so I encourage my clients, as I encourage everyone and, and everyone who's listening to this, um, to consider just how deeply embodied your commitments already are because you're living them already. And the question is just whether you chose them. The silly example we give sometimes is um, that most likely everybody listening is wearing clothes. And why do we do that? Why is it that every single day we put on clothes as opposed to just, oh, I forgot I was going to take on that practice of putting on clothes. And then I just didn't, you know? Well, (laughs) there's serious social ramifications to that. We were set up in in a structure of social conventions that has us embodying the commitment to wear clothes at most every single moment of the day. And in the same way, um, we, we ask people to take an examination of what are the unspoken commitments that they're living as a matter of obligation or automaticity and to be choiceful as they go into a review and reflection point on those. 
which is a great experience to have um, with a coach who can walk that through and, and show you ones that you might even be blind to. But when something is at that level, uh, the reminders aren't needed. These things find a way to happen because there is no having them not happen. I recognize them now as a level of need. Um, as in, oh, I'm noticing my energy is a little low. I'm going to do my stretches. Or, oh, I'm noticing that I'm off center. I'm going to stop and do my centering practice, which is only three breaths long, so pretty easy to find the time. But until I have that awareness, and until I have that embodied level of commitment, you better believe that I did have those reminders in place. And so the way I chose to do it at the very beginning um, for centering was three rubber bands on my left wrist. And um, if I had three rubber bands on my left wrist, then I had three left for the day that I needed to stop and center. And when I did stop and center, I moved one to my right, and now I only had two left. And um, later on, I was like, you know what? Um, I feel a little goofy about these rubber bands. <laughs> so um, for the sake of my, my image, uh, <laughs> as if I have an image, um, I'm going to put it on my phone as a reminder to just ping me three times a day and remember to center when it pings. Um, when it comes to the five minutes of attention training, I consider those the first five minutes that are mine every day. So when I wake up, I'm not waking up on my time. I'm waking up on the bathroom timing of my younger son. I'm waking up on the school timing and the lunch preparation timing and the getting them dressed timing, getting them out the door, dropping them off at school. Once they're dropped off, I'm on my time. And I start my day on my time with five minutes centering. Now, just as they say that practice makes perfect, and then somebody got really wise and up-leveled that motto and said, practice with purpose makes perfect, or practice within context makes perfect. I want to state at this moment that a major upgrade to all of these practices that keeps them from becoming a checkbox that you tick off as some sort of, well, I said I'd do it, so i got to do it is that right before I do it, I just say out loud to myself why I'm committed to doing it, why it matters to me personally that I would choose to do such a thing. For example, for attention training, I always say, I do my attention training to be a leader who stays focused on the vision. I do my attention training to build trust with others more quickly through my listening. I do my attention training to create more space around my judgments and belief systems so that I am present to all possibilities at all times. Then I do my attention training. And this matters to me because I'm not just doing attention training at that moment. I'm cultivating my leadership presence, I'm cultivating my listening, and I'm cultivating my ability to think outside of my own box. These things matter to me. That's worth five minutes of my day in a way that doing some breathing thing because some guy said so doesn't matter to me. So personalizing it and contextualizing it is super important for any practice we take on. Right before I do stretches or before a person would do yoga, I would recommend the exact same thing.
do you have a specific, um, and you, you talked a little bit about how your morning it belongs to your boys and how they drive that. Do you have a specific night routine that uh, you do to wind down or a way to review or check in at the end of your day? Yeah. Um, the only thing I do at night is um, we haven't gotten into productivity practices yet. I've been looking more at leadership practices. Absolutely. But from, from the standpoint of being an entrepreneur who has a, a wide number of commitments and who has a long history of flaking out on them before I had a reliable system of tracking them, I, I realized that I was damaging the value of my word and people weren't able to take me seriously because I was often missing my commitments or showing up late to things and I, I had a loose relationship with time and all of that. And, um, once I started to realize the power of honoring my word and really being a person um, of time who honored other people by being on time, I started to um, track things differently. So I have this notebook now. It's a, I choose to have a written physical notebook that I call my master productivity list. And it, um, I, put, I put little boxes next to each line item. Uh, to um, so that I have the ability to fill them in when the time comes. But what I do um, at night is I read every unchecked box as a way of re-presencing. Oh, yeah. I said I would do that by such and such a date. Is that, is that coming up now? Do I need to put that on the front burner? You know? Um, and on any given day, then, at night, I'll select the top six priorities for the next day. They are the most vital, and I do subscribe to the idea of gauging things by their importance before I gauge their urgency, though as a matter of keeping my word, some things do become urgent because I have promised something by a certain date, so I'll, I'll certainly honor that. Um, even if it doesn't feel like, quote-unquote, the work of me working on my business, but it's the work of working in my business. So it's a blend of the long-term strategic work and the tactical day-to-day -day operational work. But six priorities get identified the night before, and then I can put all thoughts of work out of my head and lay down to sleep and know, like, the day is handled. I did what I did today. I know what my priorities are tomorrow. And again, when my time is mine and the attention training, uh, mindfulness meditation that is, is done, all I have to do is open up my notebook and look for box number one. Because the night before, I will have put a one inside that checkbox. And I know that's my job now, is to um, take care of those six. Now, I constantly have meetings and phone calls and things. They will sometimes fully obstruct my ability to get any of those six done. And that's just one of those days where my productivity was relational and community building with entrepreneurs like yourselves and other people who were out there doing the work. Um, and we have to view that uh, those of us who are task oriented 
we have to trust the value of that and notice how it's working over long periods of time to get the work done by having the right conversations. On the flip side, there's days where it's a wide open slate and I am just at my computer getting that done. And then it's on me to really give myself a lunch break, to really give myself, um, even if it's just walking into the backyard or walking down the neighborhood, uh, down the block, you know, just um, a few breaths of outdoor time, of um, some connection to something other than productivity. Um, because for many of us, and I'll certainly put myself in this camp, what I'm capable of accomplishing becomes the only source of my value if I'm not careful. I walk that metric all the time with myself. To the degree that when my second son was born with Down syndrome, one of my first thoughts was, oh my God, how's he going to ever be worth anything to the world? Because I didn't get it. I was scared. I didn't know anything about Down syndrome. You know, we're four years into that journey now, so I have a different relationship to it. But good Lord, at the time, it really made clear for me just how much I had linked what a person's contribution is to society as their only source of value. And so stepping myself back from that ego attachment and getting into uh, connection with myself and the natural world and others around me uh, has really brought that more relational sense of value, that broader sense of um, community-derived value, family derived value, friendship derived value that um, helps to elevate me out of the conversation of just productivity all the time. That's a real watch out. Yeah, I've taken the flip side approach. I put spending time with friends on my to-do list. So I still get my checkbox one up. Well done. And I also have it when I'm looking at my day, when I'm looking at these are the things I have to get done, I I can see visually that that time is spoken for. Yeah. Yeah. At one point uh, in an exercise, you made the assertion or the statement that you do not procrastinate. Mm. And it boggles the mind that this is a potential that there's someone out there who maybe doesn't procrastinate. So I would love you to speak to that comment. Do you procrastinate? Do you not procrastinate? Did you used to, how did you stop? Please share your wisdom on procrastination because it is the disease of millennials everywhere. Ah, Wonderful. Well, is it possible that the disease of millennials everywhere is overcommitment? Well, yes. Okay. That's also, I have a real, yes. I mean, Uh, I've never seen a generation who has the tools available to get so much done. Therefore, they say yes to so much. And then wonder why it can't all get done and starts to feel like I'm procrastinating the ones that I don't really want to do because I keep giving uh, preferential priority to the ones that I really like doing, right? So my view on millennial procrastination epidemic is overcommitment epidemic, forcing many of those commitments to fall to the wayside and feel like they're being procrastinated. What is your, what is your take on that? That's my lens as a, a Gen Xer. 
That is interesting. Um, I recently read an article called um, Why Millennials Are the Burnout Generation. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, which is a very kind of aligned concept. Yeah, the um, levels of anxiety yeah. on being lived daily by millennials, I view as yeah. um, sourced in the sheer volume of commitments they've taken on. Yeah. Uh, but if you want me to still play around with the question, I'm happy to, to dance. Yeah, let's go back to the, the procrastination, procrastination sure, question. Yeah. So um, lifelong procrastinator, absolutely. And um, I think what you're referring to is that um, the moment came when I got into acceptance of the fact that everything wasn't going to get done. Procrastination for me was sourced in this persistent productivity as value thing meets uh, believing that so much more could get done in a day than actually can, by me at least. I got to that place, you know, in the same way that a Buddhist will say, I never experience emotional suffering anymore. Well, what they mean is there's tons of emotional suffering and They've gotten so present to it and so comfortable in the discomfort that they just don't experience it as suffering anymore. It's just their emotional life. It's energy moving in the body. And so that is the, the joke of me saying I don't procrastinate anymore. You could look at my life through a lens and say, are you kidding? There's all kinds of stuff that you're having to kick down the road and you're not getting done. But that's because it didn't make the top six. So what I know is I do what I set out to do. And there's a ton of stuff on that list that hasn't gotten done in months and may not get done in months, but it didn't make the cut. So I don't care. And so uh, that that's why I can jokingly say I never procrastinate is because those things on my list don't matter. Sure, I'm procrastinating them if you look at it through a certain lens, but I don't view it that way anymore. Yeah, I like it. Which brings us to the question that I ask everybody. How as an entrepreneur do you stay focused? Mm. Because we know, uh, you've said it already in this conversation, we're in a, a world that is constantly vying for our attention. Mm. And how, how do you, in your navigation of fatherhood, lifehood, and businesshood, how do you stay focused? Uh, when there are so many things buying for yourself. Yeah. Well, one thing that I didn't say earlier that matters as a distinction uh, in light of this question is that all of those things you just mentioned, fatherhood, lifehood, businesshood, etc., they're all on the master productivity list. So if, if we are at such a crisis of a lack of clean underwear around the house that laundry has risen to a massive level of priority, it literally makes the list. Not kidding, you know. That matters at the point of my son coming to me tomorrow uh, and saying, I, I don't have any underwear to wear to school. I'm not going to have a kid who lives that life. I don't want him to have that experience in life. It matters to me. So I'm going to find a way to get that laundry done. And while it's on the wash cycle, I'll move on to number two, you know, it's, but I'm going to get it done, right? So it, all of the commitments are in a single place for one thing. That's one way that I stay focused is I don't view there uh, being any distinction 
among the commitments that I am. I am this set of commitments that I've chosen. They define me. They define the actions I take and the actions I choose not to take. They define the conversations I generate and the conversations I won't tolerate. They are me. And at that level, um, they all belong on the same list, regardless of what categorization they might have. So that's a real focusing agent, is full work-life integration. Um, No distinction between the two. Now, we get to do that if we're entrepreneurs, because there's no boss saying, hey, I just came by your desk and saw your to-do list. Like, what do you mean taking your kid to your doctor's appointment is priority number one today? It's like, of course it is. I'm, I'm equally committed to that as I am committed to the success of this company. Etc. Uh, so we don't have that um, micromanager breathing down our necks, so to speak. We get to really live work-life integration. What a gift that is. And then um, the fact that the world is vying for my attention and that uh, everybody from robocallers to uh, emailers who have interesting videos for me to watch to... Um, emailers that have um, you know political actions for me to take as an activist or whatever it is um, the fact that my daily practice is called attention training and that what it constantly has me noticing is when my thinking is somewhere that doesn't matter right now and I just draw my attention back to the sensation of my breath and return here There's a cultivation that happens in the human brain over the course of time due to that practice where I notice now about 10 seconds into a non-priority activity, like, oh, I just took one of those distractions, you know, from the movie Up, Squirrel, right? I took a squirrel and I started running after it. Um, And that's a choice point now. Whereas I would just have run and danced and played with that squirrel for hours in my former self without realizing, oh my God, this could be construed as a priority activity, but it's just not on the list. It really isn't. And so there are times where that lens um, reflects back to me. Oh, you know, I'm 10 seconds down a rabbit hole here. I could just stop right now. And most of the time I do choose to. And other times I'll say like, oh, well, let's stay going down this rabbit hole, but let's make it deliberate. And I will, you know, uh, push away my work or go get a glass of water, get up and walk a little bit, move around while watching that video or while reading that blog post or whatever it is. And it'll be my, um, like, just reset button real quick to just deliberately take my mind off things, right? And then come back with full focus. Uh, But again, the choicefulness is what matters to me. I don't care what I decide, really, as long as it's deliberate. And that has me feeling very centered and in ownership of my time instead of getting to the end of the day and going, good Lord, what happened today? Where did it all go? Which I used to feel, you know, every 10 minutes. I mean, every all the time. And just it never went away. That relationship to time was constant. I think those two in conjunction with one another a clear focused list that has all of my commitments on it and an attention that is trained to notice the distractions and make it a choice point 
that's all that it takes for me. Those are, those are the foundational elements. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for your time and your attention, your full attention. I can tell you guys can't see the video, but he is the master of eye contact, even in a virtual environment. So uh, thank you so much for joining me and sharing all you've got in, in this world of being fully focused and in tune with yourself and your practices. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much. Thank you for spending your time with me, Elizabeth Tolis, here in the Emerald office. If you want to hear, watch, read, and learn more about entrepreneurship, focus, and living a life of impact, I invite you to check out Full Focus Entrepreneur, where I coach small business owners to be more effective, more organized, more profitable, and more impactful. If you're interested in listening to more of me talking to myself and others, please check out the Emerald office where all the episodes for all of my podcasts can be found. Both the Emerald office and Full Focus Entrepreneur, as well as my social media and the show notes can be most easily found at elizabethtolis.com. And I want to specially thank Eric Tolis, who made the sweet backtrack you're listening to now, and Maria Carius, who made the beautiful artwork that graces this podcast's cover. A link to all of Maria's art can be found in the show notes.